Welcome. So glad that you are here with us to worship. As was said, we've been walking through the four Gospels, all of them pointing us to the person and the work of Jesus, each one happening in different ways. If you are back with us from college or visiting with us today, a special welcome. So good that you can be with us. And our prayer is that this time of being together with family, with friends, would be particularly sweet and joyful. As Pastor Dan said, there might be a little restlessness, and, and that's fine. Christmas is about a baby, and I'm sure that baby did some squawking, so we'll feel right at home with that. We are thankful for our nursery workers and all those who, who serve so well. Well, as we come this morning to, to think about this book, we, we come in days where when you, when you listen to the news in whatever form you get, there's a lot going on, a lot of things people are talking about, whether it's impeachment in Washington, D.C., whether it's all the advertisements, advertising all the sales that are going on, and some of you have come in this morning thinking about that last trip you need to make to the, the store. Others of you, as you walk in, are thinking about the trials that you're walking in, wondering why is this Christmas feel so hard? And others are thinking about how our society seems to be changing so rapidly in so many ways. We think about the, the next generation coming up wondering, God, will you be with this next generation amongst all that feels so uncertain? And now comes this Gospel of John with the greatest of offers. The Gospel of John comes presenting the central figure of all of history for us to consider this morning. The man who is God, the God who is man. And as you consider this central figure this morning, I encourage you to think about what does God have for you? And then what does God have through you? For as we think about Christmas, we think about this, this season to give. And so if you know the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this message of His glory for? Who does God have for you to share this good news with this Christmas? For the central figure of history is the central figure of John. It is the one who comes in glory. And glory is a word that is, is woven through this book. And I want you to see as we go through this book briefly this morning, we're just going to catch the highlights. We're not going to see every detail. But I want you to see that there is a man here that is like a mountain. And this is a mountain that when you see it, just appears to be ordinary. And then suddenly you see a little bit of smoke. And you go, whoa, what was that from the top of the mountain? And then you see the mountain shake and quake and quiver and tremble. And you go, what is that? And then suddenly you see a bit of lava flowing off the mountain. And you go, oh my, this is no ordinary mountain. And so it is with this man. No ordinary man. Glory getting ready to break out from him as he prepares to return to glory. So glory is a key word. Now the key word is life. Pastor Dan read it. This book has been written that we might have life and have life by the third word, believing in his name. This book calls us to put our whole confidence in Christ, to follow him as leader, as king, as Lord. That is to believe on his name with our whole heart that we might have life. Believing in him to have life, the one who is filled with glory. So the question for us this morning is the same question I hope that you are asking as you gather as families. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? For every boy and every girl, every young person here, this is the most important question of your life. And as young Alina read so well, John 1, the book begins saying that Jesus was in the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world didn't know them, didn't know him. He came to his own, they didn't receive him. So it's not a given that all will receive him. 
But to those who did, he gave the right to become children of God. So this morning, the question for you and the question then that you can ask is, what will you do with Jesus? Will you reject him? Will you oppose him? Will you ignore him? Will you assume him? Or will you surrender to him? It is amazing that when we think about your family gathering, think about those holiday gatherings, it's so easy to assume Jesus, isn't it? It's so easy for others to reject him, to oppose him. It's easy for others to ignore him. But the invitation is to surrender to him. Surrender to his love and receive his love. Think about these different ways we can respond. If a, if a band comes to town, there are some that say, oh, I am waiting in line. I'm going to wait in line in, in a line that goes around the block. I, can't, I love this band. I've surrendered my heart to this band. I love them. And others of you, you say, I don't even know they're here. You ignore them. Others of you say, I, I hate that band. They're terrible. They're awful. I, others of you, if offered tickets, say, no way. I, I don't want to go there. There are different ways we respond, whether it's to a band or a politician, but this is a much more important response. The book of John is written. It says in John 1, no one has ever seen God but Jesus, who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made him known. John was written that we would know what God is like through the person of Jesus. So this morning we want to consider Ten times when Jesus says two important words. Remember in the book of Exodus when Moses came to a bush that was burning but didn't burn up and realized that it was God that was speaking to him in that burning bush and God was calling Moses. Moses, go stand before the most powerful person in the world and represent me. And Moses asked God that vital question, who should I say is sending me? And what did God say to him? Say to him, I am is sending you. I am. Not I was, not I will be, I am. I am now, I have been for all time, and I will be forever. Presidents come and go. Celebrities come and go. Everyone wants to be so concerned with what's important right now. And then right now is suddenly old news, but God says, I am. Before it was all existing, I am. And after it's all done, I am. And Jesus says these two words ten memorable times in this book. And we want to briefly see each one. Jesus is the great I am. He has come to make the Father known. If you've got a Bible, please go with me. We'll, we'll make these brief stops to see these ten marvelous moments that, or, or we see something of the glory of the Father seen in Christ. The first one is in John 4. A very unlikely spot to start our journey. God is always appearing to the most unlikely folks. We expect him to go to the, the president, the, the most famous person, the, the, the biggest influencer. That's not who he goes to. In John 4, he goes to the most unlikely person imaginable. He goes to a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were, were, were rejected, right? They, they were the enemy. And this was no ordinary woman, but this was a, a woman who was known to be of a very low repute had a very bad reputation, but it doesn't matter. Jesus goes to her. She, wasn't, she was of such low repute that she was outcast by her own people. And Jesus comes showing us the heart of God, not with reproof, not with a, a word of get your act together, but he comes gentle. In compassion, he treats this woman with dignity, not scorn. He speaks to her as an image bearer. And he comes and he says, Give me a drink, please. Give me a drink, he says to this Samaritan woman who's out drawing water in John 4. And as she does, we read in John 4.10, Jesus says, after probably saying thank you, 
says, ma'am, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have, had, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus knew what was going on in her life. He's about to tell us and tell her that she's had five husbands now living with a man who's not her husband, the sixth. Think about if this was your, your sister or your aunt. Be kind of thought a certain way in your family. Je- Jesus didn't address those things. He continues in verse 13. He knows her issue is not relational or sexual. It's more core. So he says in John 4, 13, Everyone who drinks of this water that you've shared with me will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Knowing everything about her, he knows that her key issue is an issue of worship. And friends, that is true for her and it is true for you key issue of your life is what will you worship? For you will worship something. You will seek to satisfy your thirst with some pursuit. For her, it was one relationship after another. And yet at the core, it was a worship issue. Well, down to verse 25, the woman said to him, they've talked some more about worship. Woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. We've been waiting centuries and centuries for this promised Messiah who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, This this one, this one you speak of, this long awaited Messiah, this Christ. I am. I am. That's me. That's me. And pandemonium breaks out. She goes, gets the whole town. It's unbelievable. But think about this. To the outcast, to the rejected one, to the one whose life was marked by brokenness, Jesus comes. Marvelous moment number one. Marvelous moment number two, we go to John 6. And here in John 6, the crowd has gathered 5,000 men, which means there were more than 5,000 women, certainly, and probably many more than 5,000 children. This second moment has a lot to do with food because the, the crowd was hungry. They were waiting for something to eat, and there was no way they could possibly feed them. The people were off in a remote place. It was time for Passover, and the story tells us so as to sharpen our attention on the glory of Jesus, tells us that there was one boy with five little barley loaves and two fish. Just to highlight the ridiculousness of what's about to come. So imagine the XL Energy Center in St. Paul, the Target Center filled to capacity. And here comes one little boy, five loaves, two fish. That's it. We're going to feed the whole arena. You know, this is unbelievable. But Jesus does, right? And so the story goes. Well, when the people see the 5,000 men plus everybody else is fed, they go, this is unbelievable. You, you're the man. We want you to be our king. We want to, be, we want to get this all the time. This is going to be awesome. You are going to, you are going to take care of us. The people are thinking he's coming with a, a prosperity gospel, right? You're going to take care of our monetary needs. You're going to fill our bellies. This is fantastic. We want you. We love it. When John 6, 32, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was Moses. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven back in Exodus. It was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. See, there's something more important than bread. There's one who comes from heaven, and he gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
This bread is meant to point you to the more important reality. And then he spends the next 12 verses telling them that unless they feed on Christ day by day, unless they find spiritual nourishment in Christ, they will not live. We go down to John 6.51 when he says, I am the living bread. Get those words, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, I'm better than money. I'm better than food. Think about the place food and money have in your hearts. Oh, our hearts are tempted to make life about food and about money. Think about Christmas celebration and everyone's looking forward to something at Christmas, aren't they? Looking at some kind of food. And Jesus says, remember, I am the better than whatever food you most enjoy. I'm better than manna. I'm better than Christmas ham. I'm better than the sticky buns on Christmas morning. They're all good, but they're all meant to point us to the one who's better than. Well, as Jesus kept describing this bread to them, this spiritual food People started to say, what is this? This isn't going to fill our bellies. Feeding on Christ? Eating your flesh? Drinking? Forget about it. No way. I don't know what that is. But And so the chapter comes down to verse 66. That's right. John 6, 6, 6. Chapter 6, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And he turned away. Even disciples, it says. Not just hearers, not just those in the crowd. Many disciples turned away and said, what, 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 what is this? What is this? So the question is, will you reject him? Will you oppose him? Or will you just ignore him? Be apathetic to him. You wake up in the morning and say, I assume Jesus. I, I don't need to read the Bible. I, I don't need to feed on him. I don't need to worship. I don't need to drink deep of of Christ. I'm fine. Many people respond this way. Even disciples, they assume him. They ignore him. And he is calling us to surrender to him. Marvelous moment number three comes in John 8. In the book of John, darkness and light are a big theme. They're, they're found in contrast again and again in John 1 and over and over. Again, darkness and light are contrasted. And the question with this moment is the question of darkness and its reality. What does it mean to walk in light? What does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, we can each have our own opinions about what that looks like, and certainly everyone in this city has opinions about what is darkness and what is light, but those are each just our own opinion. But the one who hung the sun, the one who said, let there be light, and as one young man told me this morning, he said, let there be light, and Silas, it was, it was lit, right? There's only one that can do that. There's only one that can do that. And he says, let me tell you what darkness is and what light is. And he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. And friend, I'm here to tell you that there is a darkness that calls to each of us and comes and says, Come. Come, have a secret life. Come, come, have a, a, a double life. Come, come, and love darkness. Come, it's so fun, it's so nice, it's so good. You, you can have light on Sunday, but come, live in darkness. When you're in private, your own time. Marvelous moment number three comes, John eight twelve, when Jesus again spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am light. Come walk in light. To walk with Jesus is to walk in light. So Ephesians 5 says to us, if you're following Jesus, Ephesians 5 says this, for at one time you were darkness. 
That was your identity. You were in darkness. Not just you were in darkness, but you were darkness. Your life was marked by darkness. But if you have surrendered to Christ, and today might be the day where you say, I want to surrender to Christ. He says, now you have a new identity. At one time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Friend, is it your aim? Is it your heart's desire to say, God, put darkness to death in my life? Put the deeds of darkness away in my life. I want to be light. I am light, but I want to live as light. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to just pursue my own way anymore. I want to be light. You called me to be light. I want to live as light. I don't want to watch darkness anymore. I don't want to listen to darkness anymore. Jesus says, I am light. Come, enter into my light. Oh, friends, that's important. That's so important. Marvelous moment number four has to do with traditions. Christmas is a time of traditions, right? Candles and and trees and decoration, stockings. and Some of you have favorite Christmas traditions, right? I know there's at least one little person in our house very excited about presents. That's certainly a favorite tradition for many, right? Lots of traditions. Go along with traditions in our family gatherings. Family itself is very important. Our heritage for many is, is very important. You might ask the question, do you know who I am? Do you know who my mother is, who my father is, who my grandparent is? Do you know my family name? Well, for Jesus' hearers, this was very important. Family, tradition, heritage. And when they look back at ancestors, the greatest that they look back to again and again was Abraham. Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. It's who they were. It's who they identified with. This was their identity. And Jesus comes ruffling feathers always. Jesus comes asking great questions always. And in John 8, 39, we pick up this fourth moment. They're, they're talking about freedom and truth, and, and they answer Jesus, and they say to Jesus, 8, 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but you seek to kill me. The man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. You are doing the works of your father. They say, well, what are you talking about? We weren't born in sexual immorality. We have one father, God. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. This is a sharp moment. Jesus is not mincing words. He says, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. See, they were not about Jesus. And if you're not about Jesus, you're not about God. That's what he's saying. If you're opposed to Jesus, then you're in league with the devil. You are living as the devil's children. They're thinking, what are you talking about? He must have a demon. Jesus continues, verse 49. I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Down to verse 55, but you have not known God. I know him. Verse 56, in fact, just to raise the stakes a little more, let's go back to Abraham, and he says, your father rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, in fact, and was glad. And now that you say, you are completely looney tunes, You're 30-something. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham, Jesus, completely unmoved, is about to drop a bomb on their heads. And I want you to hear the whistle of the bomb as it's dropping, because Jesus is about to drop this fourth great moment. 
And it's easy to miss this here. And after he drops the bomb, I want you to see their response. Oh, this, this, is, a, this is a marvelous moment to be sure here. John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh my. What a moment. And they are so excited about that. They throw a party for him. They're shaking one another's hands, slapping each other on the back. There's so much joy. It's awesome. They're like, yeah. No. Verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus knows who he is. He's not a people pleaser. He's not out to flatter people. He's just telling them who he is. Before Abraham was, I am. So offensive at so many levels, they go from zero to murder in that moment right there. All right, now we come to the halfway point. Marvelous moment, five and six. They're right together, and they're found right in the middle of the book, John 10. We can turn to John 10. John 10 is all about the language of sheep and shepherds. And you think about how often that language is used throughout the Bible, that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pasture. There's good shepherds, there's bad shepherds, wicked shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, there's that, that language is used all of the time. And now in John 10... Jesus is going to use this, this picture of shepherd and sheep for two different moments that are put right together. John 10, he begins, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but who climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him... The gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So you think about sheep, they spend their days wandering the hills, eating those, those green pastures that the, the good shepherd caused them to lie down in, the, the water that they enjoy, and then at night, when, when darkness comes, the shepherd can't see where they are. If they're scattered on the hills, they come into the sheepfold. The sheepfold was a, a fence, like a, a stone fence that would encircle the sheep, and these sheepfolds would have one entrance. Right? So all the sheep are inside, they're safe, they're protected on some of these fences. The, the shepherds would put thorny branches, they'd put sticks, other things to keep out these robbers or, or animals that would come to attack the sheep. And there'd be one entrance, one door. And often the shepherd would lay down right in that entrance and would himself be the door. And so Jesus says in this moment five. Verse seven, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you come to a door, you have a decision to make. Do I go in or not? And Jesus says, I am the door. If you come in through me, you will have life. But apart from me, the thief will still kill and destroy. Think about the door to the sanctuary. Every person this morning came in through a door. And Jesus says, I am the door. You come into this place through me. You approach God through me. 
It's only through me that you can come to God. And when you go out from this place, you go out through me in my power. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will go in and out and find pastor. Our lives are lived in and out of the door. That is Christ. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So there's only one way to God, only one entrance to God. It is through the door. And Jesus says, I am the door. Right on the heels of that, he continues and says, not only am I the door, number five, number six, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now think about this picture and think about what Jesus is saying to us. He says, believe in me, Live for me, worship me, but then he says, I am your good shepherd. I, think about what a good shepherd does. Takes care of the needs of his sheep. He feeds them, gives them drink. He protects them with his rod and his staff. He, 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 He causes their cup to overflow. He heals them with his anointing oil, which overflows And he leads them. He leads them beside still waters. He leads them in paths of righteousness. So think about Jesus this morning, friends. This Jesus who is not only a shepherd, but the good shepherd. And he has come to lead you in paths of righteousness. He has come to walk with you so that you need fear no evil. He has come preparing a table before you, even in the presence of your enemies. You don't need to be afraid. And this good shepherd loves his sheep, you included so much, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One more thing he says that's so important about laying down his life. He says, no one takes my life from me. See, when Jesus is talking about a shepherd we think about the manger, it's easy to think, oh yeah, just nice guy, friendly guy. No, no. Remember that mountain, that trembling mountain. There is a quaking power in this Jesus with everything that he says. And he knows he has all authority. He knows he can call legions of angels. He knows all of this. And he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And what does he do with this power and his authority? He uses it to love and to care and to offer us life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is good news, friends. What will you do with Jesus? Is he your Lord? Or is he one to be assumed and ignored? A marvelous moment number seven has everything to do with death. And death, as we know, can come at a very sudden and inconvenient time. This past week, my son, who's off at college, his, his, his friend at college just got news that his brother, very young, suddenly, unexpectedly died. Alive, not alive. Life, death, right there. And so he is at a funeral this weekend that came with tremendous suddenness. And if you've lived very many years, you know what that kind of suddenness of death is like. Like a bad traffic accident no one is expecting, death can come. And when death comes, it shakes us. It causes us to question. Driving last night and I saw a bumper sticker that said, death is a dream. Hmm, what do you think about that? I thought, that is something you put on your bumper and it means completely nothing when death actually happens, right? It's not real. It's just ridiculous. It's silly. But Jesus' moments show us 
something about death. And, and, and it's the collision here in this moment of his glory and death colliding. For you know the story of Lazarus dying, and Jesus says this remarkable thing. As Lazarus is getting ready to die, Jesus' friend Lazarus is getting ready to die, and Jesus says, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus could have gone and healed his friend Lazarus, but he waits because he loved Martha, he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. So he waited and he waited and he waited, and Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up, and the sisters come to him and say, Jesus, if only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. If only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus doesn't brush them off. He enters into their pain. He loved his friend. He weeps with them, picturing for us what to do when death comes. We grieve. We enter into this pain. And yet, even as he does so, he knows that glory is boiling in his soul. He knows that he knows something of life that they don't know. He knows that the most important thing they can do is to believe And so he says, in this marvelous moment, number seven, this great statement to Martha. He says, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. She says, Jesus, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on, on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And like so many other statements, these words are coupled with an act that makes the words explode with meaning, right? Easy to say, I am the resurrection and the life, much harder than to go to Lazarus's tomb and call a dead man to come to life. And yet, so that we can see his glory, he makes a dead man come alive, and these words suddenly have all kinds of meaning. I am the resurrection and the life. Which means that if you know Jesus, death is no longer the thing you are most afraid of. You are set free from your slavery, from the fear of death, and this is good news at Christmas. Amen? Now, this isn't to be misunderstood, as some this week have understood it in California. If you follow the story of Bethel Church grieving the loss of a little precious girl who died named Olive, they've been holding services praying for her resurrection. Can God bring someone back to life? Yes. Does he frequently bring people back to life? Most certainly not. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life, does not mean most of us will not die, does not mean most of us will not be raised from the dead, does mean death is defeated and resurrection is certain. So this marvelous moment number seven gives us confidence over death. Number eight, as we come down this road of these moments, Number eight comes to the question, what is the way to God? Are there many ways to God or not? Well, I was leaving the office the other day, a week ago, and there was a woman, uh, Toph's good friend, uh, he told me that he uh, was, was getting some food at Jericho Road, and she had a bunch of bags of groceries and a wheelchair, and, and, uh, and, and she asked me this question. She said, are you driving? And I knew right away what the next question after that? And I thought, man, I got to go get my kids. I'm going this way. I'm going. I said, How are you driving? Well, she's got like nine bags of groceries, you know, in her wheelchair. And I thought, Yeah, I, I'm driving. I'm driving. Said, Could you give me a ride? And what direction? Oh, it's the wrong way. All right, you know, I, I, I mean, it's Christmas time. I, I can't be too much of a Scrooge. And so we we load up the groceries, and and she tells me the story that she's been a widow for. 25 years, and uh, we're, we're talking, but I, but I asked her about the Lord, and she said, yeah, I, I just think all of us are, are saved. All of us are going to heaven. All roads lead to God. 
said, I'm a Muslim, you're a Christian, but all roads lead to God. I said, really? Really? So what you're saying is that a judge who lets everybody off is a great judge. A judge who says to a murderer, go free, you'd be excited about that. Well, no, I, no, I, not so, I, so someone steals many things, commits rape or abuse over and over. The judge just says, yeah, go free. Very quickly, she realizes that this is not good for a judge to do this. This would not be good if God did that. Young men, think about if you get interested in a young lady and you say, I'd like to see you sometime. She said, all right, well, we'll come over to my house. And you ask for directions and she says, you know what? Just go any way you want. All roads lead to my house you would very quickly realize what a, a, a brush-off was, right? <laughs> realize her words don't mean what I hoped they mean. And so the disciples were talking with Jesus. Marvelous moment 8, John 14. Jesus says to them, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going, Thomas says. I may have missed it, but no, we don't. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And now Jesus says this great word to us, marvelous moment number eight. This is a way that if you believe, this will be very costly. If you believe what Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, it may cost you your job, it may cost you friends, it will certainly cost you some relationship in your life. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And someone says, you arrogant Christian, how can you declare that you have the only way to which you can respond? This is not my word. I believe Jesus, and this is what he said. Is Jesus arrogant? I don't know that arrogance quite the word. Jesus is certain. And Jesus has authority. And Jesus is truth. And what he says goes, and we believe in him. So friend, I don't know what you're doing with Jesus this morning, but I want you to hear him say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and there's no one that comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is making what's called in philosophy an exclusive truth claim. And he's not apologizing. He knows that it's true and it's right. And if that girl gives your address and gives you right directions, you know, hey, I got a chance. Right, Charlie? At some point, Alyssa gave you the, the right address. And it might sound like good news. All roads lead to God. But it's not based in anything. This is based on the person and work of the centerpiece of history who invites us to the Father to live with Him forever. Amen? He has gone to prepare a place for you. He prepared it through His work at the cross, and He is preparing it now so that death no longer is feared. But the future is as bright as it can possibly be. Marvelous moment number nine is what woke me up this morning. My alarm went, and I was suddenly struck by this moment. And I thought, this is amazing. This is amazing. God loves me. And if you are in Christ this morning, God loves you. And marvelous moment number nine is Jesus' great encouragement that we don't have to do it on our own. We're not left to make it all happen on our own. But Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine. 
Everyone who believes in me, you are the branches. If you remain in me, my word remains in you. You will bear much fruit. Good news, good news. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Friend, if you love Jesus, know that his design for your life is to bear much fruit. But we come and we say, life's too hard. I can't do it. I can't do this. I look at the future and say, how am I going to do this? How am I, I going to parent two children? This is crazy. How am I going to face this situation? How am I going to get through this? This is impossible. Which is like someone standing at Niagara Falls wondering, how in the world could I ever get my glass to be filled with water? Right? Where could I ever fill this thing up? standing right next to this torrent of water. And yet so often, we slip into being blind to the Niagara Falls that's right next to us because Jesus continues and he says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Remain in my love. Just come under the waterfall of my love. Just stay there. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Christian, if you've been trusting in Jesus, know that Jesus invites you to rest in his love and know that he will bear the fruit through you. You don't need to worry. You don't need to toil in your own strength. Jesus said, I've spoken these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The love of God, the power of God for you day by day. Life is hard. And oh, friend, abide in him, remain in him, hide in him, and he will empower you for tomorrow and the next day, a day at a time, abiding in him. Well, our last marvelous moment comes in the garden. John 18. And here we see a little glory burst break out in a moment that we don't expect it. This last one is so good because it comes at such a dark moment. In John 18, we read that gone out to the garden and Judas, his friend who he had loved, is leading the the soldiers with their weapons. Some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're there, it says, John 18, 3, with their lanterns and torches and weapons. They have their armor and their swords, and they're clinking and clanking and coming to take Jesus by force. John 18, 4 says this, Then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. Think about this moment. Here is Jesus, having left that manger many years in the past, and knowing he's about to undergo the greatest suffering that any person has ever undergone. Knowing that he is headed for death. Knowing that that he's got to keep this glory bound a little bit longer. He's got to stay submitted to the Father, submitted to this human frailty a little more, submitted to the mockery, the scourging, the beating, the spitting, the rejection, and the death a little bit longer. He steps forward and says, Whom do you seek? Now hear this last bomb, because it's whistling as we read. It's about to drop. If you don't look for it, you may miss it. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. I think, "Mm, I didn't hear the explosion. What's the bomb there? Keep reading and you'll see it. Verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he, 
the soldiers, the officers, and the Pharisees drew back and fell to the ground. You see that in verse 6? They drew back and they fell to the ground. What causes someone to draw back and fall to the ground? When a little glory burst hits them. Poof! And then it just leaves them and the story continues. Just a little reminder right there, Jesus could have decimated them in a moment. He didn't. He had a mission to finish. He had a love to fulfill. But like a volcano with a little trickle of lava, it breaks out right there in this last moment as a reminder that Jesus's glory is veiled for a moment. But oh, soon it was going to break forth. And so we have to see one more picture of it that's not in John. In Revelation 1, John says, John who wrote this gospel writes in Revelation, Then I turned, and I saw the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And he no longer was the suffering servant. He no longer was the frail human. No, when I turned, he said, I saw someone different. I saw in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head were white, like white wool. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead which is what you will do when you see Jesus in his glory. He said, fear not. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died, behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I am King of kings. I am Lord of lords. I am the resurrection and the life. And all of these things John says were written so that you, friend, your loved one who you're going to spend Christmas with may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the I Am, and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. So I invite you not only to believe in Him, but commend Him to those whom you love and ask them what they will do with Jesus. Will they reject Him? Will they oppose him? Will they ignore him? Will they assume him? Or will they surrender to him? Like a bride, when the bridegroom comes and asks, will you be mine? Jesus comes and asks, will you be mine forever? What friend will you do with Jesus?